This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. Uh, today, we have kind of a, a different setup, and uh, I think what will be a very interesting conversation for our listeners as we talk to a couple of business owners about their experiences this summer trying to run a business and navigate the public health concerns and everything that goes with COVID-19. I have joining me today, uh, Todd Frizzoni from the Door County Ice Cream Factory up in Sister Bay. Todd, thanks for hopping on the podcast with me. Thanks for having me, Miles. And then we also have Meredith Colson Cantor, who owns the White Gull Inn in Fish Creek, which is both a restaurant and lodging facility. So she's had a ton of fun all summer navigating this crisis. Meredith, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Miles. We are very well socially distanced here on the podcast today. I'm recording from my garage. Uh, I have Todd dialing in from one location and Meredith from another. We normally do most of our podcasts either one-on-one over the phone or all in one spot in the office, but uh, we, we don't have the, the luxury of doing that right now. So if there's any, if listeners notice any audio things or if we talk over each other, uh, just give us a little slack. Hopefully we, we navigate this pretty well. Um, one of the, What I wanted to talk to you both about is just kind of what this has been like this summer from a business owner's perspective. We're now, you know, early on, we hoped this might be a couple of weeks. Then it became, okay, we'll make some minor adjustments and we'll get through the summer and hopefully, you know, we'll get this thing under control by maybe mid-June. And obviously those just seem like pie in the sky ideas now. Um, We're into October. You guys have both been dealing this for a long time. Start with you, Todd. You made some pretty drastic changes at your restaurant right away. What are some of the things you did there and what has this summer been like for you? Well, uh, yeah, it all started with the opening weekend when um, we allowed customers to step into our store to order, um, but they couldn't, you know, come and actually look at the ice cream. It, it didn't work out real well. We had people piling on each other and, you know, people weren't wearing masks back in May. And I didn't feel comfortable with that. My employees and I have been wearing masks pretty much, well, not pretty much. We have been wearing masks the entire, entire summer. Um, so I closed for a couple of days to reassess things. And we what we decided to do was block off the front door completely so customers either order at the front door on the other side of plexiglass and then they pick up their order in our in the back parking lot. And you can also call in your order and pick up in the back parking lot. So obviously, it's a totally different setup. You know, customers are used to being able to see the ice cream. You know, we would give samples. Uh, you know, the biggest challenge for us with this has been making changes on the fly if a customer doesn't, you know, if they want something a certain way. Obviously, you can't really do that when they're ordering and then you're making it later. Um, so it, surprisingly, business has been really strong. Um, I've been been really pleased with how the season has gone in that regard. We've kept our system. We've refined it slightly, but it's essentially been the same from when we opened from when we reopened in early May after those few days um, through now where, you know, the system is, is the same. Customers have to remain outside. They pick up at the pickup table and we're always, you know, more than six feet away when we hand the, 
the food or put the food onto the table and then they're going to grab it later. So we were able to maintain a lot of distance that way. Um, and that's been, been successful. We were fortunate. We had a very dry summer. I don't know how, how things would have gone if we had, you know, we've had some seriously super wet Junes and this year it wasn't like that. Obviously July and August were gorgeous. So Mm -hmm. that helped us, um, tremendously. And yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm I'm pleased with how it went, surprisingly. And moving forward to answer that question, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I, we none of us do, right? But uh, I mean, the way I the way I look at it is, I'm going to keep this until I feel comfortable doing doing it other you know another way or going more back to normal. But I just don't see how I'm going to be able to do that because you know with ice cream people are going to want to be able to eat it right away. And so even if I require people to have their masks on, as soon as they get ice cream, they're going to take their mask off to eat it. And you're talking dozens, if not more people in a tight place, you know, with their masks off. And that's obviously not safe. So, yeah, you, you have such a unique situation there, A, that people people look at your product to decide what they want. And generally, you have a lot of kids. So you have a lot of just kind of a, a mess of people just running around and touching everything and and, and not really knowing boundaries. You, you do whatever you want to do with, with your kid. Like they're just, when they're under seven, they're going to do what they want to do. Um, and then you also have a, a really cool historic building. And that's part of the charm of your whole business is the ambiance there of that old school feel. And so you had to just sacrifice all that. And then Meredith, you have kind of the same thing. And one of the hallmark businesses of the of the county, one of the most well-known names in the county, um, old building, all those same things. But you have the hotel and the restaurant together. What did you have to do this summer? And how chaotic was it this spring just trying to get the information to figure out what you were going to need to do to be open? Yeah, and I, our story is similar to Todd's. I, I, we started out with plans to have it, um, you, you know, we plans that we devised in the spring as we were all shut down that as we started to open, we had to completely revise and <laughs> revisit after the first week of being open. Um, but we we opened in a very slow staged manner to try to get all of our systems figured out one at a time. So we waited until what had been the reopen date after the the safer at home um, was supposed to end, even though that got struck down. So we stayed closed until May 26th um, and then only allowed hotel guests for the first week we were open to try to just minimize the number of staff that were there and get all of those systems figured out. Um, all of the, you know, more, it wasn't completely contactless check-in, but, uh, dramatically different than our, our regular check-in scenario where the front desk people give people tours of their rooms and take them and all their luggage to their rooms and, you know, revising our housekeeping protocols to not do any makeup service, all of those things. Um, so we had a week to get that underway. And then we opened for just carryout for a couple of weeks, which, of course, we've never been a big carryout restaurant because people come for the ambiance. They come to sit in our dining room. So yeah, you're another place that, that it's all about the feel. It's all about the experience. Right. So that was an adventure. And <laughs> one of the biggest challenges was just getting all the supplies we need and figuring out, um, you know, there were such shortages on to-go boxes and to-go cups and straws and things we didn't even think of, like drink caddies, things we've never had to stock before. We had to figure out where to get them and then wait two, three weeks sometimes for them to, to 
come in. Um, and all that time we were getting phone calls from people saying, why aren't you open yet? Why? <laughs> you know, there's no safer at home order. Why aren't you open? Um, so having to explain to people how much planning went into getting all of your systems in place, um, getting the staff trained to do all of our staff has worked for us for 10, 15, even 30 years. So retraining everyone on the systems, wearing masks. um, And we all know that longtime employees really like to change their routines. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They they just stop on a dime and adjust and it's like no problem at all for management. And I have to say our staff were credible. The, you know, the people who were there for those first few weeks of getting reopened, it wasn't our full staff yet. Um, but they were really inter- integral in helping us develop those systems and recognizing the, the snags right away and turning on a dime to figure out how to, to make it work. Um, so our staff was really great. But yeah, it's just old habits die hard. So <laughs> just figuring out, you know, we tra- changed the whole flow of our traffic um, to have people check in on the back patio instead of coming into the lobby because the lobby's always been like the big bottleneck area um, of people waiting for their tables and people checking out and house guests checking in. And um, so that was our biggest concern is how to change that traffic flow. Um, so after being open as a hotel for a week and then carry out only for about two weeks, we opened our dining room um, with 50% of the tables removed, doing outdoor patio dining for breakfast, which we had never done before because we'd always use that patio area as the coffee bar mm-hmm. um, weightless waiting area. Um, so that allowed us to gain, gain back a little bit of the volume that we were losing with the 12 indoor tables we removed. Um, but then just figuring out how we would have traffic come in through the back and leave through the front and all the rules we'd have to get into place that you don't even think of until you have a customer that challenges one of them. (laughs) Not wanting to wait outside or not wanting to go shopping while they're waiting for their table. And just every, every scenario required a new, a meeting of the minds to figure (laughs) out how we were going to handle that situation going forward. How was the staffing situation? Um, you know, we didn't get the influx of the J1 uh, workers, which are the summer, the foreign workers who come from all over the world, really. Um, mm-hmm. And in Door County, normally we have about 500 of them. And from the latest data I've seen, roughly 300 or more of those are supply like the Northern Door tourism industry. Um, I don't know how much either of you rely on those visitors or what that was like for you guys. If you want to take that, Meredith, from the start. <laughs> yeah. Um, we usually hire about 10 J-1 students each season. Um, So this year, of course, it was a challenge to fill those spots. We typically, when we post ads on Craigslist or uh, some of the other Door County jobs in Door County, all of those online recruiting sites, my inbox will be flooded with applications from all over. This year, we did several rounds of posting Craigslist ads and sometimes got nothing, um, sometimes got one or two responses. Uh, we got lucky and pieced together uh, an adequate staff for most of the summer, but it honestly was just luck of the draw where someone would walk in the door and apply for the job just as we were thinking we were going to have to close one day a week or <laughs> something like that because of inadequate staff. So um, we, we made it through and our staff, we had a, a pretty good staff uh, through most of the summer, um, but it was pretty touch and go. And it was unbelievable. The 
the crickets when we'd post ads. There was just mm. nobody out there looking for jobs, it seemed. Which is pretty interesting because I'm sure you've seen the comments on Facebook when when businesses would say, oh man, what are we going to do without the J1s? You had a lot of people say, well, you should hire American, quit trying to get this cheap foreign labor. And it's a total <laughs> disconnect in that, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but my experience was not that you would pay a lot less to foreign workers. It's just that you would just, no. those were the only ones you could find. And I, I don't know, Todd, what your situation is and and how many J1s you usually use. But um, I, I was, it, you know, when you're in this industry, when you live here, you assume that everyone realizes that employee shortage that exists. And this summer was a big eye opener to realize that so many people just just think it's a it's a choice. It's really just businesses being desperate. Right. Yeah. No, we uh, we likewise uh, typically hire eight to 10 J1s uh, a season. Um, and I have, you know, 15 to 20 Americans that typically work for me in, in the summer. Um, this year I had one J1. She was able, fortunately, to go for a visa interview and was approved in February, right before everything hit. Um, and so, and she, absolute rock star. She ended quarantine July 1st, worked every day and double six days a week for me until she had to leave in early September. Um, and then I was able, likewise, to kind of piecemeal um, the Americans that I was able to to find. I have, you know, a few returnees and uh my 14-year-old son is official now, so he's, he's on the payroll and he was working more probably than he would have liked. Um, and I was working a lot more than I would have liked, but we were able to, to piece it through. Um, and then this fall, a couple of my college kids uh, decided that they weren't, didn't want to try to do the online uh, uh, school. So they said, you know what, we're just going to stay up here and we'll help you out through the end of the fall season. And that has been tremendous for me. So, um, so yeah, so we were able to, able to, to limp through. Um, the other thing that I think helped um, that was nice having the, the, the smaller staff, I think helped us with the, the whole COVID thing. I felt safer knowing that I had fewer employees mm. and they weren't working two, three, four on their jobs. Yeah. You know, we were all kind of just our own little, our own little group here. Um, and we have everything kind of spread out with the way our system is set up. So we're not really on top of each other at all. So that, that was nice. Um, um Todd, I don't know if you've, had any positive any employees test positive meredith i know you you had to deal with that recently um mm -hmm. and again that goes back to people would say like well public health is shutting down businesses and public health would tell you they've never shut one down but the reality for a restaurant in as, as you guys just said everyone you know got you got people working every day you yourselves are working constantly um you lose one employee there's not there's not a backup so you pretty quickly can get to a point where it's just not possible to open the doors. I wonder, Meredith, what was your situation once you had some positive tests? Right. Um, not only do you have the person who tested positive, but you have anybody who's considered a close contact to that person um, needs to quarantine for 14 days and obviously needs to get tested. And public health designates people as close contacts if they are known to be working within six feet for more than 15 minutes during a day, but that's cumulative. So as everyone who's ever worked in a restaurant kitchen knows, there's the obvious people within six feet, like the other people in that department, the other dishwashers, the other line cooks, the other, you know, people standing within six feet all day. But there's incidental contact all day long with the servers and the, you know, the prep cooks helping out in the dish area and the bakers doing dishes in the morning. And it just 
if you want to be extra cautious, you almost have to shut down just to make sure that you're not I, I wasn't comfortable telling half my kitchen staff, oh, don't worry about it. You're not considered a close contact, even though you maybe worked within six feet of this person 15 minutes throughout the day. Um, so if you want to play it safe and have everyone potentially exposed, get tested and quarantined, there's no way you can keep your, your business open. Um, well, and I mean, especially if you do what the what the guidelines actually say to do, which is quarantine for 14 days. And really knowing that that positive, that, that test isn't a surefire, you know, if you, if somebody tested positive right. today at your restaurant, well, you got, you tell your whole staff to get tested tomorrow or the next day, you know, public health would still say they should all quarantine if they needed to get tested. Um, right. You can't and close. They, they recommend that they actually wait seven days after last exposure to that person. So we are the last day that our positive case worked was a Monday. So none of our close contact staff was able to even get tested until the following Monday because it has to be seven days past their last exposure. And at that time, results were taking five to seven days to return. So by the time they got test results back, it had been 14 days. Um, But we had gone into it sort of thinking, oh, yeah, we'll close down. Everyone will get tested. We'll be back open in three to four days. And the reality is that there's if you follow the guidelines as public health spells them out, there's no way you can possibly reopen in three <laughs> days unless you have two completely separate staff that are able to, uh, you know, come into work when the other half are, are home quarantining. Which at the very least that tells you like the one way to at least minimize that, that confusion and that, that length of, of closing is if we could actually have enough tests to turn them around within a day or within 12 hours, the way that, you know, you see with high level or, or high risk cases or healthcare workers or the president, um, if we had made that commitment, at least you would know that you wouldn't have to wait the five to seven days for the results. So once you got the test, you could know. And that at right. least would, would constrain that thought process for the businesses. Um, I don't know if maybe you, you guys could tell me, um, is it really easy financially for you to just close t- for two weeks? <laughs> uh- <laughs> Go ahead, Todd. Well, I would uh, <laughs> I would say no, you know, and particularly when you're uh, dealing with perishables, if you, you know, have a whole uh, whole lot of things that are going to go bad and then you have to abruptly shut your doors, well, that's a lot of waste that you've just created, um, <laughs> not to mention the lost income that just happens. And when you're only open for six months, uh, if, it, if those two weeks happen to, ha- happen to happen in the middle of July or August, uh yeah, that puts a huge, a huge dent into your, uh, into your income for the year. So mm-hmm. I would say the same thing. If you have to close, we've had to, we've had power outages and things like that in the past where we've had to get rid of a lot of perishable food, but then insurance covers it, but insurance doesn't cover any losses related to the pandemic. So when we had to close, hmm. we were able to, you know, process or freeze a portion of the food, but there was an entire cooler of prepped food that had been, you know, really prepped up because we were going into the weekend that just, you know, we gave away as much as we could to staff, but that's thousands of dollars of lost food um, on top of being closed. We were lucky we could keep our hotel open, but having the restaurant closed for 10 days and all that and having to reprep, reorder all that food that had been thrown away was a huge loss. Gosh, you know, I hadn't even thought about the food aspect. I've only thought about just like the general revenue and and the staffing and and people who need their incomes. Um, and generally, if you work in a restaurant, it's not like you've got a big cash reserve to make it through that. Um, 
that is that's a fascinating aspect just on the, the food alone. Um, and what you pointed out about there not being any like insurance not covering coronavirus losses. So you don't even have that that simple safeguard. So we're asking businesses to do all these things and do all these things for public health without some of the safeguards to help them financially make it through it. And that's, you know, that's why you're seeing thousands of restaurants close all over the country. Um, like you guys said, we've been fortunate in Door County. The weather was great. The tourism was still here. Most businesses took extreme measures to, like you, Todd, um, totally changing your, your business model. Um, to try and keep people safe, yet you still see, and the reason I ask this, that, that question somewhat facetiously is, um, you know, you see these people say that Door County business owners, they'll accuse them like they're just being so greedy. They're bringing these crowds up when it's not safe and they they shouldn't be doing this. They're, they're putting the public's health at risk. And I think there's a disconnect of what the reality is for you guys of, you still have mortgages, you still have bills to pay, hopefully staff that you can retain. I mean, you think of how hard it was to retain staff before all of this. And now you go into this situation. I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of that feedback yourselves or heard that yourselves. Todd, if you can take that one. Sure. Um, Yeah, I haven't heard uh, much of it directly. I mean, like you said, you see some of those on message boards and whatever. Um, We have, you know, six months, five months really to make to make money to cover 12 months. So. Um, for us, you know, and then starting in the spring, when this all hit, you know, I'm looking at it because my bank balance goes from full to empty from November to, to April. And so when you're looking at it in the spring and you're thinking, well, I got to make, make money in order to be able to pay my bills over the next 12 months, it's kind of a scary proposition. And so that's one of the reasons that I decided to to kind of set up our system the way we did was I felt like it was the only way we were going to be able to limp through the entire season, potentially being able to stay open the whole time. Mm. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I was pleased. I've been pleased with how with how we've been able to handle it, that we've been able to stay safe, that we've been able to serve customers and been able to been able to make a little bit of money, but there's still that thought that, you know, if I don't keep, <laughs> keep my doors open that, you know, cause I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, so I, you know, I, I'm trying to keep my business as normal quote unquote, as I can to get through the season. And then you know, after the season is over, I guess we, we reassess everything and see where we're at because we don't know what's going to happen this winter and next spring. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, we just, you, know, you, you you've got the short amount of time. You try to make the money and do it as safely as you can. And I feel like we've been mildly successful at that to this point. So. Well, at least you have an, an end date in sight because you know that you're not going to be open in the winter. Meredith, you're right. in a different situation. You have, you're one of those few businesses up here who for a long time has found a way to thrive throughout the winter, um, doing special events and keeping the restaurant open year round and then having the, the bed and breakfast. All those things predicated on being very nice and cozy and warm in the winter. Um, how do you approach this now going in, into winter knowing that you don't have the outdoor seating option unless you have some incredible bonfire plans going on over there? So what, <laughs> what's the winter looking like for you or, or do you even know yet? Well, we're, we're, that's actually what most of our managers meeting was about yesterday. Um, like you said, we're open year round, which and the additional challenge of having a very dedicated, long-term full-time staff who relies, has relied on us for years as their year round employment. And we, you know, and we 
are their source of health insurance and other benefits. So I feel from the very beginning of the shutdown, that was our number one concern. Well, obviously, our number one concern was keeping everybody safe and not getting anybody on our staff or our guests unnecessarily exposed or at risk. But a huge burden on my mind from day one has been how are we going to take care of these employees of ours who rely on us for their full-time income and benefits and their entire lives are based on the fact that they have this income. Hmm. Um, So I, you know, like you said, we all thought this was going to be something that cleared up in three months and we'd we'd be back to normal by this year. So obviously that became, it became clear that that was not the case as the summer progressed. So we're, we're really struggling to figure out what we're going to do uh, for the winter. The, the bed and breakfast will be fine. It can function as it always has. Um, we're talking about putting up plastic sheeting on the front porch. So we have an enclosed space where people can wait because obviously we can't have 50 people waiting in the lobby <laughs> if it's a blizzard and they're waiting for breakfast. And um, we're not going to be able to have our concert series. And we have our progressive dinners, which are already completely booked for this year for the most part. And we have to figure out how we're going to have some kind of holiday event dinner that usually involves large communal dining and buffet, uh, you know, buffet-style hors d'oeuvre parties and things. Um, so, uh, yeah, every day it seems like there's a new new situation on my desk that just takes some <laughs> brainstorming. Like, okay, next up is this event. How are we? Are we going to cancel it? Are we going to put it on the back burner and see what happens? Are we going to try to come up with an alternative plan? Um, but, yeah, I say... My biggest worry is staying open. If we decide to close, not only is it our lost revenue, it's wages for our employees, and then determining if even if we had to close and have people go on unemployment, um, where would they get their benefits? Would we continue to supply benefits to them like we did in the spring? And how long is that sustainable? Yeah, how long can um, you can you carry those kind of costs? We face the same thing in, in our office. We're like, well, if this is just a couple of weeks, we can we're just going to keep everyone employed. We're going to pay even though like we're not able to produce at the same level. And then at a certain point, you you have to start facing some agonizing decisions there because you know these these aren't employees; these are your friends; these are your community members. Um, right. When you when you look back or even looking forward, I know that a lot of this. Unfortunately, it's just fallen down to the individual business owners to make decisions on their own. Um, do you require a best? Do you not? Do you? What is the protocol for opening? And it, it's all just guidance, right? There's no hard and fast rules. Mm-hmm. And um, generally, for a business, like we may we may complain about those rules all the time, but you've generally known the 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 general hoop you have to jump through to open your doors every day. Um, this year, that's just not been the case. Can either of you point to any? kind of specific guidance or things that you wish would have been provided to you to, to help you through this? Or, or did it have to be the way it was? Do you think it just kind of had to fall on people? Or was there something that, you know, whether it's the governor or the legislature or anybody at any level, county government, that would have been significantly helpful for you when you look back on this? Or even looking forward, what could maybe someone do now? Yeah, I say wait. <laughs> um, we, we required masks from the very beginning um, within our staff and we had signs recommending that or asking people to wear them after the mask mandate went into place. Finally, it made it a lot easier to to enforce. Um, before that, 
we got a lot of pushback from people not wanting to wear their masks or joking about it. Um, it, when we'd ask them to put their masks on, they'd make some kind of wisecrack or joke about it and just walk in without it on anyway. <laughs> Things like that that definitely got a little bit easier once there was an actual mandate in place. Um, so if that had been an, uh, you know, something that had been passed by the legislature earlier, that would have made things easier for us. Um, also, with the we tried to follow the guidelines that were recommended in the Badger Bounce Back program, as far as the the fifty percent capacity and all, and all of that. Um, I don't think any. I think once the paper at home was struck down, all of that kind of went out the window, and nobody really was clearly it wasn't enforced. Um, but I I don't even know if it was still the recommendation or not. We just sort of stuck to that all winter because hmm. it's what we felt safe. I'm sorry, throughout the summer because it's what we felt safe doing. Um, but I know that we it was not uniform across the con- the county. So for the most part, I don't think we got any complaints of people saying we were putting people at risk. If anything, we got complaints from people saying, why are you doing things the way you're doing it? No one else is doing it this way. Why do we have to wait an hour and a half for a table? You know, why do you take half your tables out? That kind of thing. And if there had been some kind of uniform information out there and any even half attempt to enforce it, it would have made it a lot easier, I think, for businesses to come up with their plan and also to stand behind them and and justify them to their customers. So you didn't feel like you were just arbitrarily making a rule and enforcing it and no one understood why you were doing it. I've struggled from the start to understand those people who say, um, why, why do I have to wait? Like, wh- why do you take those tables out? It's like, this is a business that is voluntarily giving up the opportunity to take revenue from you. That's not an easy decision to make. That's not like something you make light or just out of spite. It's like, okay, I really feel I have to do this for the safety of my staff and my employees. Whether you agree with that or not, it's just like an odd question to even ask of like, okay, this right. person's giving up money, so they must feel it's important. I can shut my mouth. Anyway, uh, Todd, what about you? What's your thought on? on- yeah, no, I, I, Totally agree. Um, if we would have had some sort of, you know, national mask mandate from day one, it would have made it easier on all of the businesses to just point to that if we had an issue with a customer. Um, and again, it's one of the reasons why I um, decided pretty much right away that I wasn't going to allow customers inside because I knew that was going to be a sticking point. I knew I would have customers that that didn't want to wear a mask or that were arguing with me. And I didn't want to put my employees in the position to have to, you know, to have to argue with them. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, th- one of the main reasons that we, uh, we went ahead and set up our system as we did, you know, I pretty much early on was, well, since all of this um, started in March, I've been, you know, concerned about it. My wife uh, going through her cancer diagnosis this winter, um, you know, her immune system is down. So it's one of those things where it's like, I don't, you know, want to put her or anyone else um, in uh, in a higher risk situation. So I was trying to figure out how to stay as safe as possible. Yet this is our main source of income, so I still need to make money. <laughs> so it's been, uh, you know, it's been it's been a challenge, but uh, um, you know, if you if you don't mind talking about that a little bit more, Todd, I mean that it's. it's it's such a unique situation for anybody to go through this. But then when you are running a business that's a high contact um, point type of business like your own, and you know that that your wife had just gone to, undergone cancer treatments, but your wife also has a very important job throughout all this work, 
she works as a nurse, correct, at Scandia Village. Um, yeah. With the most vulnerable population you could ask for. So you're sitting here trying to take these precautions. It, it's for you and your staff, but you, you're looking at that trickle-down effect of what you might bring home. How has that, what has that been like just for you and your family to, to have that dual role? Well, in a word, stressful. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, she's um, my wife, Erin, is the uh, infection prevention lead over there at Scandia. So she <laughs> sits in on the weekly calls with the Department of Health and she's been invaluable to me in passing on any new guidance and whatever else that's going on. Um, so that's I think in some ways that's actually helped because she knows what's going on. But it's still, yes, it's very stressful knowing that both of us, although she has more contact, I feel like, than I do um, because of our, our setup. But both of us are you know, directly interacting with, with people all day, every day when we're at work. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting situation, to say the least. It's, it's one spot where um, I, I've just, I, I think empathy is a key thing for everybody. And it, it really frustrates me for those who, who can't find that in this situation when everyone's super stressed out, but, and whatever you think about a business's decision and how they're operating or another individual's operating, um, is that we don't know what their situation is. And so many people who maybe come to the ice cream factory and, you know, they want their old experience and they want their vacation the way they've always had it. They don't know that you have to take these precautions. And hopefully what you're doing is one reason that we don't have a big outbreak at Scandia Village Good Samaritan. Um, right up the road. Um, and those kind of things that that every business owner has to consider, or you have kids, or you might have um, a, a kid with a compromised immune sy system, things like that. I, I mean, if people just go into it and go, you know, there might be a good reason for that, I can, I can experience my vacation differently. Or, and I shouldn't just put that on visitors, because a lot of locals are those people, too. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's not just a, a visitor local thing. There's a lot of locals who also lack that empathy. Um, what else, how else has this um, impacted you guys? And, and what do you see going forward as, as, I mean, what's your hope for this right now? Um, go ahead, Meredith. <laughs> hmm, my hope is that, uh, I don't even know. I, I mean, obviously my hope is that by next season, Things are more under control as far as the spread of cases. I doubt we'll have a vaccine by next year. So I, you know, I don't think that hoping that this is not an issue at all by next year is a, a reasonable thought. But, um, you know, maybe the there will be more general acceptance of the way things are by next year and mask wearing will be ubiquitous and people will know what to expect when they're traveling. Um, you know, I, I'm grateful that we've still had a tourist season up here because obviously our livelihood relies on that, but it, it did make me uncomfortable all summer every time I drove through one of the villages and it was packed with people and half of them were not wearing masks and crammed into some space together it you know it's frightening and I'm hoping my hope would be that if we're still dealing with this by next spring when our seasons are all ramping up again that there's a little bit more general knowledge and acceptance of the reality of traveling and being a tourist during a pandemic than there has been this year I feel like it's been a little bit of a free-for-all this year. And like we said, the business owners have been on their own to sort of come up with the rules and the plan and enforce it. Um, so maybe by next spring, there will be a little bit more guidance from above, a little bit more um, as, a, as a nation, a little bit more 
of an understanding and a respect for what this means for everybody around us. What about you, Todd? Yeah, no, I would uh, echo those those comments. I am hopeful for a vaccine. Don't know, and I agree. I don't know that it will will be able to to arrive in time uh, for next season. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful that that everybody will will start to realize, hey, if we wear a mask, we can really you know reduce this outbreak. Um, I'm I'm pretty much uh, under the impression that I'm going to be operating the same way next summer. I don't really see how um, enough can change, particularly with the direction of where things are headed nationally. Um, just the fact that we are so fractured that there's still going to be a large section of people that that are just going to kind of walk around. Like you said, I mean, you walk, drive through Sister Bay at any point this summer and at least half of the people weren't wearing masks. And this is after the mask mandate and they're all packed in. Um, and that that's it's troubling to me. So, it, you know, as a business owner, you just have to kind of do what's best for your business. And for me, that that's pretty much it. Keep my employees safe, keep my customers safe, keep everybody spread out as much as possible, and then just kind of kind of stay the course. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think so many businesses in Door County have done such an amazing job um, navigating this with without that guidance from from above. Um, and I, I think people don't recognize that, like when you put in plexiglass when you're putting in these new barriers and rearranging your tables and all these things that even takeout every takeout order costs a lot more money than a regular order all those materials cost money all the you know every cook hates doing takeout orders versus putting it on a plate (laughs) um and so it costs staff time and you know that's that's thousands of dollars that businesses are investing to protect people and you know in, in many cases like it's not like businesses and restaurants in a tourist area have a few thousand dollars to just at the ready all the time. So they're, they're sacrificing something else. Um, if it's not profit margins, it's other investments in their business. And I think businesses have done just a, a really laudable job. Most of them, um, in Door County to, you know, for the most part kept us safe for a long time. And now we're seeing those numbers go up. Um, and, and you've already seen some businesses, make that sacrifice and, and close. And fortunately, they were in a position that they could do that. Well, and hopefully they reopen. Um, so, but I'd like to thank both of you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, it's a good conversation and hopefully it opens some people's eyes as to what it's like uh, being in your shoes throughout the pandemic this summer in Door County. So Meredith, thank you so much. Thank you, Miles. And Todd, thank, thank you so much as well. Thanks, Miles. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.